Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Vandy Sports Podcast. Here's your host, Chris Lee. Commodore fans, on your feet, it's time to anchor down. Welcome to the Vandy Sports Podcast. I'm your host, Chris Lee. In today's show, Bruno Reagan and Seabass join me as we talk Vanderbilt football. The guest line is presented by our friends Scott and Missy Tannen at Bowl and Branch. You spend a third of your life sleeping, and that third of your life determines a lot of the other two-thirds. And let me tell you, Bowl and Branch sheets can make a difference there. I've slept on them for years. I would not go to anything else, and I'll tell you why. Because I can feel the difference. They are the most comfortable sheets I've ever slept in. They are made with 100% organic Rain-fed cotton that is picked by hand, you can tell the difference. They're the best sheets on earth, period, and they get better with every washing. Don't just take my word for that. Try them for yourself. You can order them online at bowlandbranch.com. That's B-O-L-L and branch.com. Enter the promo code VANDY. That will get you $50 off your first set of sheets, and you can thank me for it later. Our news is presented by our good friends at Sutherland and Belk, an SEC sports-loving injury firm in Nashville. These guys will shoot you straight on your rights and options when you have been injured in an accident. Please call them at 615-846-6200 to get your questions answered. You can also visit them online at sbinjurylaw.com. Well, Vanderbilt wins another midweek baseball game. Your final from Hawkins Field on Tuesday, Vanderbilt 12, Tennessee Tech 5. Dominic Keegan has four hits, including a home run. Carter Young also added a home run, as did Jason Gonzalez. Patrick Riley gets the win with two innings of relief. All right, we welcome Seabass and Bruno Reagan in on this gloomy-looking Wednesday outside. Ah, but things not so gloomy around Vanderbilt sports anymore. Seabass, I'll let you start. It's been quite a couple weeks. You've had baseball stuff with things we've never seen before. We've had football investment like we've never seen before. I like what's going on here, man. Well, what's going on is is we're getting what we deserve. You know, I don't. I've never really liked to be like that. You know, oh, you owe me, or this is what we deserve. But dead gummit, it's time. <laughs> it's our. It's just just our turn, Chris. I'm sorry, but but fate owes us a little bit. And uh, you know how many podcasts have we done where the sky's fallen because it really was, uh, and everything sucked, and there was nothing but gloom, and everybody was miserable. You know, and you dreamed of a day. Look, we're not there yet. Nobody's proclaiming that. You know, we're the new Alabama or anything like that. That's that's not what's going on here. But there's been a real shift, a philosophical shift by that university, if nothing else, by the people that are on top right now. Uh, and, of course, the, the, the alumni and the donors have, have certainly done their part. And, you know, for a change, we get to talk about something fun. Yeah, just taking all that for lack of a better word, crap off the table is a monumentally good start. For It is for me. I mean, you, I, you know, I've expressed to you how I feel about the other, just how, how miserable it is. And, you know, they say misery loves company. I don't want no company. I didn't want, you know, I just, all, all I ever wanted was a, a show of a true commitment. And I think that we've seen that we got a brand new day in football. We got a brand new day in facilities. We have a pitcher who may be the best best pitcher and maybe the best player 
in Vanderbilt baseball history, you know, uh, it's, I mean, I'm not, I don't know how to feel about it. I don't know how to process this. You know, I mean, we, we went from living in an outhouse in the middle of the woods and now all of a sudden we, we hit a magic scratch off ticket and we got a couple hundred grand to spend. You know, I was thinking, I, I've done other things in my life before I did sports journalism full-time. I did this on the side for a while, was in higher ed, I've worked at a couple other things. And I always used to think, you know, man, if I could just do this, it, it would be great, right? And I will tell you, basically from about the last out of the 2019 College World Series uh, to really just the last couple of weeks, I don't think I've ever hated a job more than I've hated mine. Uh, in that time, uh, and and I think for good reason, right? It's just nice that that cloud starts to to lift a little bit. Yeah, I mean, yeah, and this is I understand for you for your work and so everything, but this is for all of us. I mean, especially our these the long termers, the ones who've been in it for twenty, thirty, forty, fifty, sixty years, and you know, had the audacity to dream, had, you know, had the dared to dream when we watched everybody else get their due, you know, and we just sat back and just, it just piled on. But I feel like, and I get, again, I mean, there's a long way to go and the first shovel hasn't even hit the dirt yet, but I mean, it's not just hot air anymore. We have, we have, we have a commitment. We have a commitment y'all. And that, that is, that is, it's, 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 I'm so happy to see that. I, I was always afraid that I'd be like 78, 85 years old, and, and all of a sudden they decided they want to get serious about sports. I'm like, well, great. You know, I ain't got much time left here now. So I'm glad I get the opportunity uh, to see this before I even hit 50 years old because I wasn't sure that this would ever happen. Seabass, you're out over there in the wilderness uh, of Jackson, Tennessee, uh, as it pertains to Vanderbilt Sports, where they're kind of a non-entity. But I'm curious, yeah, is, is there has there been a reaction to the facility stuff and or the baseball the last couple of weeks is in your no, town? No, no, no. They're they're uh, they're drowning in their in their or, uh, big orange sorrows right now. You know they uh, that's that no. There Vanderbilt in no way moves the needle here in any sport, not even in baseball. That sucks because we're what two hours away. Yeah, where where if that and uh, you know it's you know if there's ever been a time to 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 have them to go after people who might be on the fence about something, but until the, until until they start showing a, a modicum of success in football and basketball, they're not going to move the needle here because college baseball in this area doesn't move the needle at all. Bruno, when I ask you something, you really could not care less about facilities and that stuff. You're just kind of a give me my pads and my helmet and, and tell me when and where to show up kind of guy, I, I yeah. think is a fair way to put it. But everybody's not like that. I'm sure you had some teammates who were. As you've talked to current, former players, whoever you've talked to, because I know you speak to a ton of people, what has the reaction been? Um, It's been nothing but positive, Chris. And I mean, and on, and on that deal, like, I don't care how, like, you know, like even me when I'm like, oh, facilities don't matter too much. It's always nice, right? Like it's always nice. I just I just tend to adapt quickly to whatever circumstance. If the facilities are bad, you know, I'll adapt and just get used to the new norm. If they're great, I'll adapt and get used to the new norm. But the thing with great facilities is, is you get more to work with. I mean, I know that they're going to put in a what an indoor right outside at the practice field. Like 
that's going to shave off that 10, 15 minutes you have to walk and you won't have to worry about, you know, like losing 30 minutes of practice from having to go outside, moving the whole thing to the indoor and resetting the positions and all the equipment and stuff like that. It's just little things like that. That's going to help take the program to maybe a new level. And even if it's not that big of a swing from like an actual practical standpoint, it is a good talking point. It's a good talking point for recruits, good talking point for the future. I mean, we've just been begging for stuff like this and you have to give credit where credit's due. I mean, they could have used who knows how long they could have used COVID as an excuse for, but they just up and got it done. Well, even if, those are things that don't really matter to you just because your personality. I think that if you're still playing, I think you'd appreciate the fact that everything being equal, you're probably going to have better teammates who are going to start coming to the program uh, just because facilities attract kids, all things being equal. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. I mean, the 18 year old kids, not the, I mean, we're, we're young adults. We're not the brightest brightest group in the bunch. You know, we're going to see the shiny things and we're going to be naturally attracted to that sort of thing. And better play. Listen, like, I think it's been very clear in the past five years that we've, we're very, uh, we'll have like a top, like the top 12 players on our roster, football wise, at least are like NFL potential and caliber players. But then there's like maybe 10 more of like serviceable SEC. And then there's a huge drop off, right? If we could just get to the point where there's, we have a, all around SEC caliber roster, I think you'll start to, and the success we were able to have with it wasn't, you know, it wasn't the worst deal, but I think to get to that next step, you know, just bring in more consistent recruits, more consistent guys that pan out. I think we see a lot of projects that, you know, never really amount, amount to nothing. And that sort of leads into the low roster numbers we ended up having at the whole end of the deal. Um, well, I think, go ahead. Well, I was just going to ask you, how much difference does it make just having your needs met? And by that, I mean not having to take shifts in the weight room or having basic nutrition stuff. Things like that or, or like when you, you have a practice and you've suddenly got to go to the indoor practice facility and they got to take all the stuff over there. Like all the workarounds that you just took for granted that they don't have to deal with at LSU or Alabama or Tennessee or, or frankly – uh, Missouri or Kentucky, for that matter. How much of a difference does that make in the life of a player? It's going to make a difference in the life of the player directly and indirectly because also the employees at Vanderbilt, if you talk to any employees at Vanderbilt, which I'm sure you do, Chris, on the side, um, I mean, they, those people, they kind of slave away sometimes. Like, it's not easy work or easy sledding around there. It's the same deal where they're like, Probably at places like Bama and stuff like that. They have, you know, they just have better circumstances to work with. You know, happier employees, the whole environment's going to be, you know, just po- it's going to be a lot better of an environment, a lot more positive. Everyone's, you know, they're these new things, these shiny new things. It'll be a while before people, you know, start to complain again about a commitment to athletics, right? Like there's going to be this new energy around the place. There was already this energy before it was announced. I can only imagine this is going to help. Seabass, your turn. Ah, <laughs> say, uh, well, just a couple things. One, you know, facilities and stuff like this is the way that a school says "I love you" to its players and to its fan base. You know, I love you. I'm thinking of you. You, sh- you know, it, you know. I mean, I, I know, of course, it's, I'm speaking metaphorically, but it, but there's a lot of truth to that. And there's also a lot of truth to saying something. It, it would have to feel good to have something, Bruno. That is yours. Here's what I mean by that. Now, you grew up in the town that I played in college, so I'm sure mm-hmm. you're very familiar, or maybe you weren't, uh, with, with, with the Austin P facilities. Like with football, 
uh, at least then, I, I don't know about now. <laughs> well, well, but, but he, that's kind of my point. Like, uh, the football office was in the Dunn Center. That's where the basketball team plays. The The weight room was in the Dunn Center. The We held all of our meetings, all our film sessions in the Dunn Center. Study hall in the Dunn Center. There wasn't any place off, outside of the practice field where it was just ours. You know what I'm saying? It was It was ours. You know, and I think there's a lot to be said for that, you know, because I've been to places like the Billy Murphy complex in Memphis where the Tigers go, you know, and, and, and some of the facilities they built was theirs. I knew that I was in the Memphis Tiger football department. Mm-hmm. That's, that's where I was. And it sounds like some of these things are going to be able to do that where, you know, and, and be it basketball or football, it doesn't seem so much shared as it much as this is our thing. You know, and so when a recruit comes in and they see that and they walk these halls and they see all these things and and these new amenities, I'm not kidding when I say that's how a school says I love you. You know, you matter. You know, what you're doing here matters to us. You know, I know it matters to you, but we want you to know how important it is to us as well. And they haven't done that for a very, very long time. You know, so while it may not have mattered to Bruno, and I, and I certainly get that, that's not, that's not going to be the norm. You know, because I think what you said, Chris, is right. It's, it's about and, – and, and because let, – let me before I go back to that, let me say this. Max Howell said something to me one time. We were doing a show one time, and he said something to me. Chris, I know you remember Max Howell. Uh, he he said, uh, as a matter of fact, they were doing the I'm trying to remember conference call was the name of the show, uh, and they were doing conference call from practice at Vanderbilt. This was probably about 20 years ago, and and Max said, and when I was talking to him, and he said, Max Max said, he said this first 15, this first 20, he said outside of like Alabama and stuff like that, that first 20, 25 players. There's not a whole heck of a lot of difference between Vanderbilt's and anybody else's in the SEC. So the problem that Vanderbilt had is exactly what I think uh, uh, Bruno was was kind of saying. It's that next 25 and the 25 after that, where a lot of them are frankly not SEC football players that are playing in the SEC. And that shows. You know, when you do things like this, when you put when you put that step forward, you bring in a guy like Clark Lee. I think what you're going to see is you're going to see those numbers expand up past the. Well, I think Bruno maybe said 12 or something like that. Maybe that doubles in the next two years. And now all of a sudden, when a guy goes off the field, you know, because some guys, you know, when Dio goes off the field, if he goes off the field at at, at Vanderbilt, you didn't have, you hardly had to worry about anybody getting now Andre, of course, but but what happens when you're playing these other teams and this stud goes off the field and he's replaced by a guy who's just about as good as he is, you know? Oh, that's the, the worst. Of the, uh, and it's yeah. the middle of the third quarter and you're tired as crap and he's as fresh as he can be and you have no way of stopping him because you're running on about thirty percent and he's fully charged. Yeah, man, that's the worst. That's the worst when you're playing against a team and they have their stud and then the other stud comes in and he's totally fresh and your offensive lineman so you don't get rest. I mean, that's just something you don't have to worry about when you play Vanderbilt, honestly. But when you play every other team, basically, uh, that's basically, that was a good point. Bruno, I'm, I'm glad you said all that stuff, Seabass, because it prompted a couple of questions. I, I'm going to ask you something, Bruno, and I know you'll you'll shoot me straight. Typically, of the years you played at Vanderbilt, you, you come in with 85 other players. What 
Out of those 85 scholarship guys, what number are, are serious, committed, whatever, on the front end to start day one of fall camp? Well, let me let me ask let me um make sure I'm getting the question right. How many are like slated to start like 100% starters on the first day? No, no, no. I just mean oh. they they come in they're excited, they're SEC football oh. players, they're thinking, "Hey, I'm going to I'm going to make a career and and go to the NFL." I mean, I I'm sure you oh. had one or two kids that are like, "Hey, I'm I'm just here for the the Vanderbilt degree and, and and that's always been a thing. But typically speaking, day one of camp most years you're there. Of the eighty five kids on scholarship, how many of them are, are bought in in that regard? Yeah. So every every day on the first day of fall camp, every single time, if there are eighty five players, about eighty of them are all in. Now, four days later, probably about fifty. <laughs> so and that's just that's just that's just honestly about two day about the first two days after pads, um, that's where people start to really Cause I mean, you're, you're, you just don't see a path for, I mean, it's hard, hard work. It's football all day. And if you're not ready for it or if things aren't going your way, it's easy for stuff to roll, bad stuff to roll downhill really fast. Think of it like an avalanche. I mean, it just goes and goes and goes. So there are people that just, you know, that embrace the grind and all that, but it's, it's very tough for a lot of people. I mean, fall camps where a lot of people start to, you know, start to think, is this for me? Every single football player that's ever been through a fall camp is like, they're not even thinking about starting. They're thinking like, is this sport for me? So that was just a, that, like, I think that answers your question a little bit. Well, where I'm going with that is I'm just wondering, you know, the system works against you, right? We've talked about the classes. We, we had that really funny conversation oh, the first, about yeah, the parking the tickets. I mean, and, and it was, it was hilarious, right? But it's, it's sad at the same time. And I'm just wondering like with facilities and and if they could get the priority class scheduling thing done and just stuff like that 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 I think is low hanging fruit for the school or should be like I wonder how much of that you start to take away and look I think I think the coaching staff that this new bunch is probably going to do a better job of identifying that especially given the head coach played here and saw that stuff and and Barton Simmons and all the things we've talked about but I'm just wondering do you have a carryover effect of just taking care of the business and, 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 and taking care of this stuff where you got the baggage of broken promises and, and parking tickets and all that stuff? I'm just wondering just how, how, how tangible is that going to be once they get everything in place to, to getting more buy-in in that regard? Does that make sense? Yeah, and um, I think you get a lot of buy-in during fall camp because kind of that's when all the all the things go out the window. I mean, you're just in that 300-yard bubble in a circle, like of the football facilities and the in the dorms you move into. I mean, fall camp's probably where Vanderbilt honestly gets its most buy-in until like it starts getting down into down into the nitty-gritty because you don't you actually don't have to deal with a lot of that stuff. Now there are some guys within the first week that had to go to class and stuff like that, but that's unavoidable. I mean, that's just that's just the schedule sometimes, but but i'd say fall camp is actually actually one of the better parts in terms of like it's stressful in a different way now once you get out into the vanderbilt world obviously you know you got to do the class you got to do you got to do the job or whatever you got to i mean you just have to make life go as you're being sec football player obviously they give you some more buy in there but um but fall camp is typically when when you're when you do exactly what you're brought there to do, and that's just play ball the whole time. And while it, it it's it takes a certain amount of fortitude to get through, it's honestly less stressful in a way. You mean getting through fall camp and getting into school? 
I would say just the life of a fall camp. I mean, it just gotcha. feels like you're a kid. You, I mean, it just feels like exactly that. You're at camp and you're not, you don't have to worry about. I never had to worry about parking tickets during camp. I never have to worry about class during camp. I mean, and then going into the season, that like month and a half is just all ball. The the hardest parts for me, Chris, were always just like the life, <laughs> the life, like doing oh, life during man. football. And that that's right. That's a hundred percent. Now I don't know. It may have been different in Clarksville than it was in Nashville, but. I'll just say this, Bruno. I was never so happy to see people as I as I was when class actually started. Yeah. Yeah. You know, because you know, for us, fall camp, it was all I ever saw was other football players. Oh yeah. You know, and it it it, it, it was two a days. It was film session. It was it was lifting weights at five thirty in the morning and getting backing up and just doing doing county fairs and and doing the same thing the very next day. There was no social interaction of any kind. I mean, I don't even think I spoke to somebody that didn't play football for almost a month. You know, and 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 it's well, I tell you that you have to you have to really want to play. You know, and I think it was, and I don't remember, boys, you may remember, it was either Derek Mason or, or, or James Franklin, and I think it was Franklin, who, because it would make more sense coming from him, but I, I, they said something along the lines of this, and I was like, yes, yes. He said, we want football players who would like to go on to be doctors and engineers and lawyers more than we're looking for doctors, engineers, and lawyers who might want to play a little football. Yeah. You know, and frankly, if this, if this program is going to succeed, that's what they have to have. And there is a difference. There's, I think there's a big difference. Well, and it's not, I'm not talking about playing less of a, I'm not talking about placing less of a, of, 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 of a priority on athletic, I mean, academics by any stretch. I mean, I love that about us. I do. Uh, but those players are out there. I need hungry football players who want to become those things, not the other way around. Do you guys want to go into the mailbag? Cause there's a few more questions on this. Um, yeah, that's dope. all right. Let's see. The mailbag is sponsored by Vanderbilt fan Josh Minton, an independent insurance agent operating out of Brentwood who can take care of your insurance needs. Call him today, 615-933-1979. Email him at josh at hqinsurance.com. Follow him on Twitter at joshuamintonhq or facebook.com forward slash jdmintonhq. He's my insurance agent. Give him a try. Tell him you heard about his business on our podcast. Okay, VU Matt 23 says, pretend the three of you are in charge of the next phase of investment. The new budget for this phase is $200 million. What do you do with the money? I think you got to throw, I'll go first. I think you got to throw all that into the stadium, right? I mean, that stadium has to be dealt with at one point, one point here or another. So, because what else, what else, maybe, uh, and I don't, I truly don't know, like the, how baseball I don't I, I don't talk to those guys much how baseball and basketball feel about their current setup. But if we're getting if football and McGugan are get is getting like, you know, a big buy in and I was allowed to dictate where the rest of it go, it'd probably be the stadium. You know, somehow, some way we gotta get that thing we gotta get that thing looking better. See bass? What he just said. I mean I, <laughs> I well I mean I mean I mean I know that's an easy way out, but it's it's the no, right it's answer. True. Yeah, it's just true. I mean, it's just, I mean, any other answer is fine, but that's the correct answer. And I, 
and that's 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 exactly where where I'm I'm headed is that right there. Now my question becomes this, and that that phase they said what I get so I get two hundred million. What can I do with two hundred million in in those regards? Do I have a I mean do I have a completely renovated stadium for two hundred million dollars? What am I getting for my money if I spend every bit of it on that stadium? Uh, well, in terms of player development, not a whole lot, right? Well, player development is a different conversation. I just think there has to be a certain standard, like eventually, because, you know, you see it on social media all the time. It's like, it's like there, if we were ranked on SEC stadiums, we would not, we wouldn't be 14th, right? We would be probably like, they would, they would give us an honorary, like rank 100 spot. And there hasn't been a renovation, a serious renovation to our stadium since what the '80s or something like that. I think I read. Yeah, it was like '81. And the for the for the the next lowest SEC team might be like '0506 maybe. So that's just something that that has to be done. I don't know, Uh, because I because for me, I personally can't think of anything else for the football team that they'll really need. They have a state of the art training room now. You know, hope obviously, you know, if they can get that weight room changed up, they'll have a closer indoor. Um, the practice fields are fine. I don't, I don't think of anything else. Like the, they'll have a renovated locker room. I mean, maybe a players' lounge, but that's, you know, that's just kind of a maybe. Let them earn that one first, but right because the stadium is, I, you know, I'm not going to speak for other 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 people. To me, the stadium is about the fans. Yes, and the absolutely. only reason I say, and the only reason that I say that, and again, I never played in front of people, the amount of people you have, but I never heard them, I never saw them. You know, to me, it's in between the lines, and that's that's my only focus. It's the only thing I'm thinking about. It's all I see. It's all I hear. You know, now do I know if you're not? If I know if there's only three thousand people at the game, of course, I I, I I get all that. But you know, when it's Saturday and it's noon and it's time to kick off. My focus shifts only to that game, nothing else. Uh, so the experience itself, I mean, it's great when you run out there with your team and the fog machines and everybody's going crazy, and that's wonderful. But if I'm looking at $200 million, Chris Lee, worth of renovations here to this stadium, I, I, I certainly think about the players, but my focus here is the, the, the fans and their, and, and their experience at that point. So my question is, what am I getting for that $200 million? that enhances the fan experience. I'm going to ask you something because you're much more suited to answer this than I am. I have not been to a game in the stands in almost 20 years. I'm in the press box. I've got a job to do. I'm just kind of neutral watching it and doing whatever. But you're out there. You're getting whatever comes with the game experience, which more often is bad than not. But – and, and I know everybody doesn't think this way. There's a group of people that think it's time to do something for the fans, and I completely empathize with it, and, and I, I agree. I think it is. But to me, the stadium magnifies whatever's good or bad. In other words, if you're going out there and your team's getting your tail kicked and it's overrun with opposing fans and you, you know, you're, you're five minutes late for kickoff because you're waiting for a line in the concourse and you're – you're 10 minutes late getting back for the second half because the lines in the bathroom. Well, I mean, those may not be good examples because that, that ruins your experience either way a little bit, whether it's going well or going poorly. But what I'm saying is I think that's more like the, 
I don't know if it's the cherry on top of the Sunday because if you're winning, I mean, like when when Franklin was here, right? He brought a lot of awareness to the stadium issue, and fans talked about it uh, for the first time because nobody really talked about it. They just kind of accepted what was there, uh, as Vanderbilt fans often do. But when they were winning games, people weren't complaining about the stadium as much as there were the last few years. Now, having said that, a lot of times the last few years, other teams improved their experience too. So I know it's not apples to apples comparison, but my point is if the product's going really well, people seem to me like they're less interested in that and more tolerant of the shortcomings. And if the product is poor, then those things really get magnified, and that's just the extra layer of aggravation. I don't know if that's uh, the way that you experience it, but that's kind of what I've sensed from talking to fans and reading message boards. Yeah, you know, well, that's what it is, because uh, during the Mason era, for the most part, I spent most of my time uh, sitting uh, on the bridge. That's that's where I was, just because it— it wasn't that rabid experience that you're speaking of. Yeah, you remember when we beat Tennessee, guys? What was it, 41 to 12? I think it was something like that back in or 41 16 or whatever. You know the game I'm talking about, where Kerry Spears laid Holmes out mm-hmm. on that kickoff return. Uh, so that place was pretty well packed. You know who I sat next to in, in, in that game? Sat next to Jalen Reeves, Maven, and his mother. Wow. And he he was still he was I think he was a senior. Uh, you know, yeah. he had, he, yeah, he hadn't even committed yet, you know, and the whole place was a beehive. Now you're in Nashville, so you're going to get Tennessee fans there. There's just no way around that, but not like you know, normally do. I mean, we've been, guys, we've all been there when it's all orange with dots of black, you know, look like a big uh, piece of Halloween candy. And we were the eyes, you know, uh, that's, that, that's, that's about it. Then you know, when Franklin was there and we were winning and we could poke that chest out, no, I would say that night was probably about 70, 30 us. And I, we, I sat next to this lunatic who was dressed as a, had a big giant, big old heavy set fella, had a, uh, a shower curtain with a big gold rod all the way around. And he was, he was in there, ho, ho, anchor down, ho, ho, y'all. And, 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 and he got his butt kicked, by the way. Some dude, a Vandy fan laid that fat dude slap out, laid him out because he wouldn't stop running that mouth. But it was beautiful, guys. It was 70, 30 us. And I'm telling you right now, from kickoff, they just flat didn't want none. They were on their hands. And and I, I know they had to be thinking. Am I really at and at Vanderbilt? You know, we're supposed to take this place over. These are just Vanderbilt fans. They're not supposed to, you know, have pride. They're not supposed to have any type of expectations, and they're surely not supposed to be talking crap to us, dude. It was a complete role reversal without the annoyance. It was. Uh, I've never seen anything like it in that stadium, and. On that night and on those nights, man, honestly, the, the conditions of that stadium did not matter. They didn't matter at all. It was, it was just a big fat party, you know. So I understand what you're coming from, but I think even though the experience is supposed to be for the fans, the fact is that the more you do to that stadium, will keep coming back to the, to the caliber of player that are going to be wearing your uniforms. I mean, I totally agree. And listen, at the end of the day, that stadium kind of has a history to it, right? Like, (laughs) 
and it's a history that predates me and it it's just something that maybe some people you know i would like to hear i would like to hear what they think about what they want for the stadium right but as far as um as far as the player experience, you know, you said it best. It doesn't matter. Like, especially w- when we beat Tennessee all those times, uh, we beat them twice at home. I could have cared less what was going on or what the stadium looked like or whatever. The energy was there. The passion was there. I think this whole thing, you know, if we had $200 million, you know, I think at this point it's just kind of trying to identify the, the greater question is just trying to identify what else does this football program need? As far as a player standpoint, I think as f- you can't, you know, they have a, this initial investment now and just throwing money at it isn't, isn't going to be the answer anymore. Now, it, now if there's any capital projects in terms of athletics, especially football, it might be towards rewarding the, the long-term fans at this point. And uh, you guys would know better than me, obviously. I'm just like Chris. I haven't watched the game in the stands and maybe I don't, I don't know if I ever have. Um, Everything it was, even when I was a crew, I never came for a game. I, you guys are just putting me back into the past year. Yeah, I never watched a game. That's crazy. I was always uh, I was always just out there playing, because I just kind of snuck in with Mason's class. So I wouldn't know the, what the stadium needs personally. I always was just kind of on the field, and um, and I've been to the press box once, right? So that's all I've I know about even, it. I've never even asked the question, and I guess I probably should have by now. Who did you grow up a fan of? Uh, when I was growing up, I was a Tennessee. I like, I would say I liked Tennessee, but my parents, I feel like a lot of people get their, like, you know, their allegiances or whatever from their parents. And my dad wasn't, wasn't too much of a fan of anybody. So I just kind of picked Tennessee when I was in elementary school and I would like root for them because we, we live in Tennessee, right? It was easy enough. And then when I was in high school, I was, I liked Notre Dame like the most. It was like the university I wanted to go to the most, I'd say. But I, by, I was a junior in high school, Seabass, and I lived 40 minutes away, and I didn't even know Vanderbilt was a place. I had no idea, like it was even a school. Wow. And then, and then you know, I started doing the football thing, and then James Frank. Then the energy there was, you know, I thought that was the norm. I was like, oh my gosh, like this place was right here, and I didn't even know it. I didn't even know about the, you know, kind of the tough history that Vanderbilt had. But yeah, I grew up a I grew up a Tennessee fan, and then kind of transitioned to a Notre Dame one. But I never had a ser- like a super serious fanhood of anybody that really like carried over with me. Like there'll be some guys that come into. I remember this one guy, Chris. We had a or not Chris Seabass. We had a we had a meeting with Kirk Herbstreit, and Kirk Herbstreit was just giving us like as a whole team at Vanderbilt, and he was just giving us some you know wise words and talk while game day was in town. And some kid, some specialist we knew was like a fan of Michigan or something. And he asked her his opinion of like the Ohio state, Michigan game. I remember everybody just piled on this kid. They were like, dude, why do you even care? Like you need to, (laughs) you need to shut up, shut your mouth, get ready to play. I mean, that's just sort of the, that's sort of the attitude of having a fandom as a college football player is, but, um, yeah, that's about it. And did you, I'm trying to, I'm trying to line up timelines. Did you, you played in South Bend, didn't you? Were you still? Yeah, on I played North at North. Yeah, I played at Notre Dame. Uh, played against Clark Lee's team. Uh, when was that? Yeah, what, 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 I mean, that had to be a little bit surreal. You know, you were growing up watching them, and then I, I it really. And that's about, the thing. Uh, I mean, that's the thing, though. It really wasn't like at that point in my, like I was in. It might have been only like six year difference, but it, those six years, like my my. 
outlook on life like changed so much more i guess because when you're younger that's when you know the that's when these development things hit harder and hit faster i guess so by the time i stepped on the field at south bend and you know i saw touchdown jesus i saw the campus and i was just none of it hit me hard i was just there to win the dang game you know like so i guess that's a I guess that's an interesting viewpoint. It wasn't surreal to me at all. I could care less. I just wanted to win. <laughs> and it, it broke it broke my heart when we didn't win. And that was just because I knew they were going to be a playoff contender. Bruno, I'm trying to remember your recruitment, and I may be wrong, but you actually committed to South Florida. Is that right? And then changed your mind, or you were leaning to South Florida? Was that, and so, was that a Willie Tappan thing? No, yeah, it was uh, it was Willie Taggart by proxy of a, a man named uh, Walt Wells. Walt Wells uh, played with my dad in college at Austin P, and then he was with Taggart at Western. And then Taggart took him to South Florida, and Walt was like the guy who like first gave me a shot. So I was very uh, I was very loyal to Walt as a coach. And when he got fired from USF, I was still planning on going to USF. But the second Vanderbilt even offered me, I was like, okay, I'm going to Vanderbilt. And then I I committed, you know, when I took my official visit here. All right, next question comes from Ann Arbor Door. Assume we have an average football recruiting rank of 55 over the next 10 years. All things equal, coaches, for example. What kind of sustainable bump would you expect on average to get from the facilities announced on Monday? Seabass, I'll let you start. Can you read the question yeah, for me one more time? I, I got a little bit confused. I got confused there, so read it for me one more time. He basically says that the average football rank the last 10 years in recruiting has been about 55. Uh, with the facilities and the new coaching staff, how much do you think that will change? Okay, so the, 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 new, the, the shiny new toys that we have, how much of a difference is that going to make in our recruiting rankings? Is that basically yeah. the question? Yes, yes. Okay, okay. well, you know, I, I, I'll tell you, I, I think it has the ability to, to make a very big difference, a very big difference in this. Uh, you look at the schools in the bottom half of the SEC who have made financial commitments lately, Missouri's and Kentucky's, and it has certainly helped them. You know, it's gone a long, long way that they've won football games too. But uh, with getting Clark Lee, if he's what I think he is, and if this program is headed the direction I think they are, and there's an actual real-life commitment, no, not if, we know there is now, financial commitment on the part of this university and not ostracizing the, the athletic department, just leaving it out there and making it feel like it's uh, just something that they have to do. There's, I, I can't think of a, a, a legitimate reason why this program wouldn't get a bump. Now, is that going to put them in the top 20? Probably not. Good grief, y'all. At the end of the day, this is still an arms race. And, you know, this is nice, but it's nowhere close to being good enough to swim in those waters. But if we averaged 55 over the last decade, uh, based on maybe some projections of what you think Clark Lee's going to be in the $300 million here and the, who knows after that, I mean, I, I could see – I mean, you know, if, if we're talking ceilings, I think 55 is the floor. You know, I, you know, Derek Mason was able to do that with no money, you know, and no success. So I, I, would, I would say that those things could be – 35, I, I think somewhere 30, 35 as a, as a ceiling goes, which now is probably going to still put you. What do you think, guys? What's 35 going to get you? 12th, 11th in the SEC? 
most most of the time. But I mean, if you you know if you're getting one of the top 35 classes in the country every year, and they're coached by a capable staff, I'll live with that all day long. Yeah, that that's about what I had in mind. I think that 30 to 40 range is something that's doable. They're not going to be Alabama, Florida, any of those guys ever. But I mean, look, the, the thing is, we've said this for years. They've got everything on a platter for success. And Nashville's a much bigger deal than it was 10, 15 years ago. The SEC's a bigger deal than it's ever been. There's no reason they can't succeed. I think everybody's just sitting out there just waiting and going, why not? And, and, and now you don't have to ask that as much. So, Bruno, I'll let you take your stab at that answer. Yeah, I think if 55 – um so assume we have an average football rank of 55 over the past 10 years. I'll think equal what bump. Yeah, 50. If it's if we ever get to the 50s again, especially with especially with new staff additions, you know, I mean, I say less. I mean, it seems like they're putting an emphasis on this type of thing. And Vanderbilt is an extremely attractive place. If you ever take an academic visit there, much less a student athlete one, it is a really really nice place. Obviously, you know, you once I show you the football stuff, it'll be a little underwhelming. But the school itself is beautiful, guys. I mean, it is. It's not it's not ranked 14th in the country for no reason, right? So that's it's still it's still an attractive place to go. They should have no problem getting people. Um I think the the way recruiting has been approached maybe in the last 5 years might have not been the best way that Vanderbilt could have done it. So let's say that they optimize that here with this new staff. They get this new commitment of finances. I mean, you have to be I wouldn't I would not not be surprised if they make a few top 20, like 25 place, 25 place, 30, you know, around that area. And then if you get there, I mean, sky's the limit. You can win with that. You can win the SEC's title with that, with that type of class. If you actually have the consistent talent, not if half your recruiting class fizzles out transfers, um, doesn't play ever, you know, is on scout team for four years. You don't need any of that. You need guys who will come in, compete. And if they start transferring because there's too much competition, then that's a good thing. The title sponsor of our podcast this year is Jody Jones DDS, trusted for his creative design and committed to both the function and aesthetics of your smile. Jody Jones provides a range of sought-after dental and cosmetic dentistry services at his practice in Nashville. He's earned the title of number one in Nashville for his cosmetic dentistry and provides a unique luxury environment for patients who want his famous Hollywood smile or other services. Patients enjoy getting services from Dr. Jones and his attentive team in a spa-like atmosphere. Dr. Jones has worked with many artists, movie stars, and celebrities over the years and is dedicated to providing first-rate results to all of his patients. He never compromises quality so patients can be confident they will always receive the highest level of care Thank you to Jody Jones DDS for making this season of the podcast possible. I want to ask both of you something because I, I'm I'm a little I'm not sure I, I think I know the answer but I, I don't know that I do. I'm trying to decide how I should approach this and how should I feel about this. Do I say screw it? Let's shoot for the moon. I want to be 12 and 0. I want to win East titles. I want to play in the SEC championship. You know, I, I, I want to do these things. Or do I say, I'm very happy about the accommodations that are on the way. 
but I also have to be a realist and I have to live in the eight and four world. And I say have to, there's a nothing wrong with eight and four in the Southeastern conference, uh, you know, annually, uh, you know, if I am as a fan street speaks, speaking strictly as a fan, can I, can I be okay with that? Do do I have to know my place and say my ceiling is eight and four and that's going to be good enough to me? No. me? Or do I dare dream and say, the heck with this, 11-1, 12-0 every year? Fans' job to dream. Once we set a new standard, it's the fans' job to demand a new standard. To you know, you don't want to adapt to a certain standard and get comfortable. I I wouldn't want the fans to get comfortable. I don't think the athletes want it. I don't think the new coaching staff wants it. You know, maybe some coaching staffs would be like, "Hey, we did all this good stuff. You know, leave us alone." At this point, I I will personally tell you, it is the fans' job to keep on the program and to demand more from it. Right? I totally think that's one hundred percent true. All right, I'm going to give you two examples. Okay, and and and. God help me if I know what the right answer is here, okay? And and you're going to understand why. Okay, what was it, five years ago, Kevin Stallings loses his job. And some of that, I think, because Kevin was Kevin, right? But a lot of that was because fans were kind of tired of the program living at a ceiling that was, I don't, you know, fourth, fifth place in the SEC. I mean, they did better than that some years. And get in the NCAA tournament and, you know, win one or two games a decade. I mean, fans felt like that was a program that, with the right coach, could compete for SEC titles and, and maybe sneak a Final Four in Elite Eight. Yeah, they wanted better, right? And and I thought that that was fair. Uh, boy, fast forward to now and, and – I think fans would would kill to sneak in the NCAA tournament and lose a game, right? So you have that. But if you'd settled there for baseball, which was as bad or or worse as any of the programs when Tim Corbin got there, and and if you just said, okay, will you take baseball, say, maybe making a regional two, three out of every five years, uh, every now and then making a super regional and maybe once every 15 years getting Omaha. I think everybody would have taken that <laughs> and you would have missed out, right? So I, I don't know how to answer that because I've seen it both ways. I just, I mean, I, it's not in me to settle, you know. It's, I, I think it m- might be unrealistic to start talking about 11 and 1 and 12 and 0. Oh yeah, but I don't want to feel that way. I, I want to feel as if, you know, because at the end of the day, it, I mean, it is possible. It's real unlikely that a small private school like that can take on the big states who have the full support of the state they live in and everything within it for for the for the most part. It's probably not overly realistic to think that that can exist. But why not? I mean, you know, if 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 this university does go all in athletically the way that did in baseball, you know, and and I say they they didn't, Tim Corbin did, you know, this you know the Vanderbilt University, we can credit them for hiring them. It ends there, except for the people who the closest and really helped out. That program success is about him, but I don't know that a football coach can do that. I think, and I understand, look, here's what I, I even said this on my show the other day. I think one of the most difficult titles to win in all of, in all of sports on planet earth is the, is the baseball college world series. I think it's one of the most difficult to do. 
you know, give, you know, not only just a regular season, but having to go through regionals and, and super mm-hmm. regionals. And you get there with seven other of the greatest teams in the country and you and and, 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 and you 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 fired your shot. You've got your one, maybe two great pitchers, but you got four other teams who have the other situation, but they got more depth. And while you may on any given deep day be as good as them, it's about the long haul for college baseball. You know, that's why when I see something like Coastal Carolina win it all, I'm just floored, you know, and how amazing that was. But this is the Southeast, and what we do here is football. You know, and I, I don't know that a coach alone could do that. You know, Tim Corbin, let's just face it, he built that. I don't know that any coach, even Nick Saban, could just come in here and turn it into an Alabama because he's Nick Saban, you know, with the constrictions that other coaches have had in the past. But if you remove all those chains, is I mean, is it impossible for us to think that we could be like that? Let me throw one other thing out there, too. Are you guys following with the Supreme Court stuff? No, I have not. A big fat no. Uh, well, we probably all should be because it's basically about the future of the NCA and amateurism, which we all think that's oh, coming down the pike anyway. There we go. Yeah. Okay. I th- okay. I, yes, I have been following it, but go ahead. Well, I mean, I, I I didn't really follow it much other than a few blurbs on Twitter today. I'm I'm really looking forward to tonight or in the morning sitting down and and sinking my teeth into someone who is written it up coherently, but that's another big wild card in this too. Uh, and, and I, the people I've talked to think Vanderbilt is, is not scared away by all that stuff. So, which it shouldn't be. Mm-hmm. So anyway, that, I, could, I, I could go on a tangent about amateurism in the NCAA. Oh, it's, it's stupid. <laughs> so, it's stupid. Yeah, No, it's totally dumb, but I mean, they're getting away with it for a long time. And, and is it, is it the be- we're just so used to this status quo? It's going to be hard for people to want to change, right? But is it, in my and I, I can go into the philosophical ideas of it too. But is it right in my eyes? Nothing about this, the way things are set up, is right at all. But I do like it. I do like watching football. So so be it. Yeah. Well, I mean that that may be. Uh, heck, we may have a completely different podcast in a few days on that alone. That it's funny okay. that that's lurking out there in the. Not even the background; it's the kind of the foreground uh, is we're having this conversation. But um, next one is from diehard VU fan Bruno. What was the one thing you wish you had as a student athlete during your time at Vanderbilt? Uh, good parking pass, maybe. <laughs> I think uh, I think I would have taken priority registration over a good parking pass. And listen, like the the school is stressful for me. But as far as needing things, I think I got everything I needed from Vanderbilt at my time there. Um, and maybe there's maybe you know I don't know what I don't know so I don't know what I what else I would have needed but I felt pretty comfortable in my time there. Um, I feel like priority registration would have 100% been if you asked any of the athletes there like off the top of your head what do you want I think priority registration would have been huge, like to truly set my schedule up without having to compete with every other student at that school, to where I wouldn't have to because I mean it was every year and I was a communications major so I had to run not to Peabody but behind Peabody so I was out every day after practice at around 11 11. 11 30 I was like and you were also forced to eat breakfast like I couldn't or you had to check into breakfast so I couldn't just you know grab something 
after class. I couldn't just not eat and go to class. Like I had to go check into breakfast and the strength staff had to see me or else I would get, you know, beat up or whatever. So run, so I shower, run to breakfast, run to my car, zoom to class. And that was when I had a car. There would be, I mean, weeks where I was just my, either my car wasn't working or maybe I wanted to try and not get some tickets that day. So I would run to class and the priority registration would have helped a ton for me. That, that was about the only thing I can think of off the top. That was really a big issue. Second would be parking, but I mean, but it's downtown Nashville. You can't expect much in terms of like a great parking system. Last question. Well, actually two more. Um, and we've sort of answered this, but I'll leave this as a space for you guys to elaborate. Five Store Door asks, of the announced facilities in the Evangel United campaign, which one will have the biggest impact on recruiting and which will be most important for developing players? Bruno, I'll let you hit that one first. As far as practicality, I would think the new indoor is going to be the biggest deal because, I mean, the things you'll be able to do with that in terms of, like Chris, when the thing I scared me the most coming into Vanderbilt was um was the standard of athleticism I had to meet things like conditioning and training that worried me I was I was very anxious about that stuff because I would watch Franklin's team of doing the doors at dawn stuff and I don't know if you know how cold it gets in Nashville in the spring it uh. I, look, I've, I've been to many a 30-degree <laughs> practice, yes. Uh, yeah, yeah. It, it's pretty cold. So during my time at Vanderbilt, and where you only can wear team-issued gear, and let's say some for some dumb reason I lose my jacket, you know, I'd, I'd have to go out there and not only condition, but I did it in a shirts and T-shirt, t- in shirts and shorts. So I'm just like, so I'm freezing, I'm dying, and, I, you know, I had to keep keep to the certain athletic standard. I'll never forget an image of a buddy of mine named Kevin McCoy, who also did the same thing. He forgot his jacket and he literally, he, it, Kevin was black, but he looked white because of all the ice that was on him at the time. Oh, man. I was just thinking like, I was just thinking like, dang, man, I wish, you know, you know, I wish we had an indoor right here and we had to train, we had to do it outside because I mean, the, the run and the equipment for the, like taking the equipment to the indoor it wouldn't have been impossible for the staff, but it just makes it a lot easier for us to go back to back, you know, outside. So having that there from my point of view, uh, having been there would be the nicest thing. Now, as far as a recruit, I can't tell you in the eyes of a recruit, maybe fans would have a better idea, which of those would sound cooler, whichever sounds cooler is probably cooler, but knowing what I know, having that, having a, a own football personalized indoor where nobody also people can schedule that indoor. It's not just the football teams. Like we weren't allowed to go in there a lot of times cause we, we just didn't have it scheduled. This could, that would be huge for us. Poor Kevin was also from Florida, which probably didn't. Oh yeah. Wasn't he from uh, Armwood? I think? Uh, yes. I think so. Armwood. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Oh, big tackle. Armwood. It's funny. Uh, when you were telling that story, it made me think of, uh, I remember my freshman year, Bruno, I was late to breakfast check one morning. Uh, yep. And, uh, and uh, Chris, that's just something you didn't do. Uh, you, you're not late for breakfast check. And I didn't even have a class that morning, but that didn't matter. The coaches wanted to make sure that you were up and going to classes and all this stuff because, you know, uh, we had some players who weren't all that interested in doing that. Well, I didn't even have a class, but I had to be up and all the way across campus and uh, I overslept. Well, missing breakfast check means that you had to run the Dunn Center up and down, you know, which is, again, where they played their basketball. 
And uh, I remember I stayed in Miller Hall as a freshman, and they had dorms that when you close the door, it locks automatically. Uh, but we had uh, we we had community bathrooms and showers. We didn't have a bathroom in our room, uh, so I I had to be at the Dunn Center guys at five thirty in the morning to run the steps because I was late for breakfast check one day, and all I had on was a pair of silk boxers, and this was the off season. So it was about Jan it was about January, and I had nothing more than a pair of silk boxers, Chris. And my keys to my room were in the room, and my roommate was asleep, and I'm pounding on the door. And, of course, remember, I don't want to wake everybody up, like, wake up, wake up. And he wouldn't wake up. And I knew that it was close to 530. And the last thing you wanted to do was be late to run in the Dunsitter because you missed breakfast check. Yeah. So there I go, running up the street. In January, wearing nothing but 5.20 oh. in the morning, oh. wearing nothing but a pair of silk boxers. And I get to the dumb center. I don't have a shirt on. I don't have anything. I'm 290 pounds of oh. steel. <laughs> and I show up at the Dunn Center, man, and my position coach, the late, great Curtis Rouse, former NFL player, who's just, just the best coach ever in the world, uh, he looked at me. Just shook his head and, <laughs> and he, said, he said, if it would have been anybody else that showed up here like this, I'd have been surprised. <laughs> uh, <laughs> oh, but, uh, luckily there was a pair. We had turf shoes too. Uh, you know, I had some turf shoes in there that didn't have the, some cleats or just for walking around stuff. And so I, I had no shirt on there and I ran the Dunn Center steps and silk boxers at five 30. Oh, <laughs> the only thing worse than that would be like that right now with, well, I guess at five 30 people wouldn't be up, but I'm thinking cell phone cameras and all that. I mean, that, that could have been, that could have gotten even uh, worse. Oh, yeah. That'd be a good was, story. Uh, you would end up on Barstool. Yeah. <laughs> I said, I was in the pool. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Thank you for that, Bruno. I hadn't thought about that in a long time, and it may, that reminded me of that. BuzzFeed, yeah, colon, like watch football player run stadium stairs in silk boxers at 530 in the morning. Uh, that would have been... <laughs> Not just football player, two hundred and ninety pound football player. Oh my goodness! <laughs> what? What? Oh, so wait. So when, what time were you done with that? Uh, about five fifty. So I ran for about twenty minutes, but it was. It's all. It, it's. It's a. It's a big back. It's kind of like Memorial Gym. So you're running up the steps and then over and then down them, then over, up, down all the way around the Dunn Center a couple times. And that's, I mean, look, that's one of those deals. You you, you learn your lesson pretty much one time. <laughs> you don't have to. You're not going to get caught for the same offense, I can tell you that. Well, I'm just thinking about the walk of shame back to the dorm. Fortunately, I guess for you it would have been dark. Oh, but... no, it, was, it, was, it was, best I remember, it was still dark. It wasn't even 6 o'clock in the morning yet, so. Oh, gosh. <laughs> Oh, uh, that's the first time I've heard that story, which is hard to believe as it long happened. as I've known you. But it happened. Here it is. <laughs> All right, guys, time to wrap up here. Oh, no, one more question for you. Uh Dusty Orleans wants to know if you've had any luck getting your ESPN app up and running, Seabass. Come on, man. No. <laughs> but but it's only for 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 want of effort. Right, right. 
Yeah, it's only for one of effort. I, I could probably call Chris and he could walk me through one of those or something like that. But no, I haven't addressed it yet. All right, guys, parting thoughts. Uh, Bruno, I'll start with you. So we didn't talk much about what I saw, you know, in terms of the scrimmage, this specific podcast, but things I just want to make sure that Vanderbilt fans know, because I had this right up on the on the board right now, but just my thoughts were extremely positive from the whole deal. I mean, I got to speak a little bit to Candace Lee, you know, athletic director, Dr. Candace Lee, got to speak to coach Clark Lee for a sec. And, um, I was watching the practice and the whole time it looked good. I mean, there's still, you know, there's a noticeable lack of depth still, but at the same time, the running backs, you know, took over the offense played really well. Ken seals did. I don't think, I don't know if he made a single mistake that you, you know, you won't be able to see with the blind eye. You'll have to cherry pick him at film. He played really well. Um, Mike white at the end of the scrimmage ended up playing really well. There was no huge blown coverage by the defense there were some sparks on the d-line you know they made a few tackle for losses even at the linebacker position we saw some playmaking being done so it was overall a very positive experience as an alumni going there and then when i did my critical write-up i didn't have that much bad that many bad things to say like uh it, usually the norm is for these things like oh we expect you know some mistakes we expect a lot of mistakes it's early new staff spring this this team looked really well on their scrimmage they looked they looked like they did really well my man Marlowe showed out, didn't he? Did he? Heck, he he might have had two hundred yards by himself. It was it was pretty it was pretty nuts. Sea bass. Hey, hey. Uh, no, hey, hey, man. A uh, couple things, you know. Watching. Uh, first of all, I'm I'm loving the whole Barton deal filming on Instagram and whatnot. Mm-hmm. You know, going through. I just, I mean, don't. You know, that may not seem like that big a deal, but I totally think it is, you know, to to engage your fan base, you know, try to grow that brand. I think things like that are 100% necessary, uh, and I, I think it's just fantastic. And I was interested, and I know you didn't, you, you know, you, you know, maybe you didn't see these names pop off or anything like that, but in, a, in, in, a, in the last Instagram video that I watched, where uh, where linemen were going at each other, D line, O line. I kept hearing two names come up, and I, I mean, I have no idea what kind of contribution either one of them are going to make, or if they will or not. But when you think these two names, you don't really think about like like a lot of high expectations. I mean, one, I didn't think was going to be playing football, but uh, I kept hearing the name uh, Michael Owusu and Alex Williams. Any thoughts about may, uh, about the possibility of of getting some production from either one of those guys this year? Oh, Usu uh, has always been a decent pass rusher. Um, that's kind of his specialty. He's just a little bit. He has always been on the, a bit on the smaller side. Um, you know, they've been trying to add you know size to his frame for a while now. But he has decent uh, movement. It's also finding consistency in his play because he'll have a, a rep where he looks really good, and then he'll have another rep where he'll get you know stoned up on. But Owusu could be the successor to immense style position. Okay. And then the uh, the uh, the other guy that I was want to know about, I saw a couple of drills with him uh, as as a recruit coming in. Uh, I was really high on he. I think I think he might have been you know my may may have had COVID. I'm not sure uh, last year or whatnot. So didn't get to play. Uh, but that's Logan Kyle. Y- y- you know I. 
I, I think he's got a chance to be a pretty good receiver. Uh, have you had a chance to take a look at him, see if, if he's somebody that might be able to make a contribution? I mean, we've got a couple guys that I trust, two or three that I really trust. But he was a guy that I was pretty high on coming him. Have you seen anything or heard anything about him? I haven't heard anything about him. And at the scrimmage in the practice I was at, you know, they only have six receivers right now. But um, as far the only person outside of, you know, Amir, Pierce, CJ, I think his name is a uh, search of the G. Is it Griff? 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 Uh, no, uh, it's um, it starts yeah, with a G. Will, receiver. But hmm. um. Uh, to answer your question, Logan Kyle, and there's plenty of time to, you know, make a stamp, but at the scrimmage, you know, I don't know if he recorded, um, I don't know if he recorded a catch or not, but Shepard, that's his name. His first name, but Shepard, Shepard was no, the receiver. Shepherd, that, yeah. yeah. He was the one that came out and he, uh, he scored a nice touchdown. You know, he, he did really good at Robert. Ryan. he's the one that bumped out to me. Um, Logan Kyle still has plenty of time. Do you know? Said, I mean, let's just look at a guy like Chris Pierce. You know, he was here for however long, and it took him to, you know, find his mojo, right? So the guy has time. He played in four games as a freshman. Logan will figure it out, I think. Um, and it'll be something I can look forward to, you know, see just see how he's doing and see where he's where he's at. Gentlemen, I'm I'm done for the day here. Uh, Seabass, I'll give you the floor to tell people where they can find your show, where they can find you on Twitter. Uh, but first, Bruno, I, I know your your Twitter hand Twitter handle is what now? At Bruno Reagan. Okay, that's what I thought. And Seabass, tell people where they can find you. Yeah, you can find me at Cheap Seats Bass. That's at Cheap Seats Bass. And on 101.5, Monday through Friday, 6 to 8 p.m. in Jackson, Tennessee. And most importantly of all, tomorrow is opening day. Uh, yes, yes. Can't wait for that. All right, gentlemen, thanks for joining me. We'll catch you guys next week. Thank you. All right, I'm Chris Lee, host of the Vandy Sports Podcast. We appreciate you listening. We'll have one more episode dealing with baseball coming later in the week. So be sure to look for that.